Um, and he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, he asked, in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not men separate. And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter. matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And he said to, and he said to him, Teacher, I, the, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, he had, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, and said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. As we come to try and get our head around this part of God's word, I'm going to lead us in prayer. That's asking God to help us understand what he's given us. Help me to be able to explain it well. I pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word that you've given us. Please teach us, we pray, from your word. Please show us your mind. And please... Allow us to respond in obedience to you, we pray. And we ask that you might help me to be able to explain it clearly and well. Amen. Mm-hmm. I'm loving having James uh, on the Bible talks uh, with me, uh, working through the book of Mark. He brings up all the topics that I like uh, talking about, like philosophy. Uh, and last week, if you were with us, 
uh, was the Antiques Roadshow. Uh, so <laughs> I love the Antiques Roadshow. My hand went straight up. Uh, with James. I'm not the slightest bit interested in antiques. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit puzzled by this, actually. I'm not interested in antiques uh, or, or antiquated things. And I think James, is, with that question, has helped me work out what it is that I like about the show. And it's like, I like watching the English in all their awkwardness <laughs> with anything regarding money or wealth or value. If you don't know the show, they bring in these, these treasured items uh, that they've, they've bought somewhere a long time ago or passed on, uh, and an ex expert evaluates them and tells them how much it's worth. And everybody's there watching in the, in the crowd, of course, and they're all thinking the same thing, like, how much is this worth? Is this thing really valuable? But of course, no, they're English. They don't say anything about that at all until it's the very last question that the expert offers for everything, uh, which is, this is how much it's worth. And, you know, it might be a great vase that has been passed down from Aunt Agatha III, who was apparently given it to from a great uncle who belonged to Henry VIII from his coronation or whatever it was. And, and the expert, you know, turns it over and explores it and says to everybody, well, it's worth, it's worth 20 shillings. It's, it's not authentic. And of course, the owner who, who brings it goes, oh, well, it's okay. It's the sentimental value that's worth so much. <laughs> But of course, when the, when the expert turns it over and says, see that tiny little mark there? That's the personal mark of the, the China producer for Henry VIII, and it's worth 20 million pounds. And the, everyone gasps in the crowd, and the owner says, oh, wow, my lord. <laughs> it's the sentimental value that really has all the... This bizarre thing about values that the love watching English in all their um, awkwardness makes me feel so much better. Everyone wants to know what's the cost of the thing, what's the value, whether you're the sort of down the American side of things, or American pickers, where they just go in and say, How much is this worth? and um, that's how much it's worth, or whether it's the English who don't want to say, or whether it's us or we're just in between. What's the value of the thing? How much does it cost? What is it really worth? what we see in this passage with this man that runs up to Jesus. It's down in verse 17. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? What's we, will, we learn later on that this is a wealthy man. He's a rich man with many possessions. What must I do? What's the cost of eternal life? Jesus, you've got eternal life in your hands. Uh, you know all about it. How much? What do I have to do? Well, Jesus says to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And typically Jesus, he doesn't meet the question head on, uh, on face value, he twists it for his own purposes. 
You call me good. What do you call me good? No one good except God alone. Do you know all the commandments? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And he said, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. What does Jesus respond? We're told. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Now have a think for yourself. You might, want to, might want to think just purely for yourself, or you might want to chat with someone next to you if that helps you think. What, what do you think causes Jesus to respond with, with love towards this man? What is it that he's said or done that Jesus looks at him and, and loves him? I'll give you a half a moment. You might need to say good day and introduce yourself to the person next to you, uh, or you just think for yourself. I'll give you 30 seconds. Okay. You just have a think. I'll ask for I'll ask for contributions from you guys, and, and I'm hoping at the end too, because uh, we might have some questions raised from this passage. Might raise um, questions, maybe lots of questions uh, for you. Hopefully, we have some question time at the end. Uh, we're finishing time, uh, but yeah, what what things do you think? What do you think is happening such that Jesus would look at this man and love him? Because he's eager to do good, it seems. Yeah, Temple of Commandments. He's trying hard. Yeah, he's eager to do good. Did anyone else think that? Like, if that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any other things that you noticed? Yeah. Well, I feel like um, Jesus knows the heart and knows where this man stands. But it's like when he comes to any crowd of people, he looks at them in love and also um, looks at them and has the will to help them. But Jesus approaches. Yeah, yeah. So you think, thinking maybe you, you could put that sentence in front of any crowd that Jesus is about to. Yeah, often he does go and he looks in pity and takes pity. Interesting. Well, maybe we'll come back to that too, actually, from this passage. Any other thoughts? Any other things? Yeah. Who says teacher? Like all these have kept from my youth. So it's obvious he's put like effort into his whole life into like keeping all that out of his youth. So Jesus looks and goes, "Look, this man is going to be eager for me, trying for me." Yeah. Following him, or is at least been trying to keep the commandments? Yes, follow God's commandments. Yeah, it seems on face value this is a this is a good bloke. Um, I mean, maybe many people at the time could probably say, or possibly say, many of these things. You know, I've kept all these commands, commandments, or at least I've, uh, perhaps I've tried to. Of course, the way that Jesus responds immediately tells the guy that he doesn't. Uh, no one is good except God alone. So your whole currency and way of thinking about what is good, uh, that you might be good enough to inherit eternal life, is out the window. There is no one who is good except God alone. But Jesus looks at him and loves him. Perhaps it's his desperation. He runs up to Jesus. He kneels down at Jesus' feet. 
He's desperate. He's not proud in genuine search for eternal life. Desperation. Maybe he's earnest. He's quite earnest. He's not being sneaky or trying to lay a trap for Jesus. Um, He certainly accepts God's law. He's not seeking to get around it and uh, not obey it. He's respectful. He's not trying to undermine Jesus' authority, but recognise his authority. He's a teacher. And it's a real contrast to the Pharisees back in verse 2. And the Pharisees came up in order to test Jesus. The Pharisees, they test Jesus. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to undermine him. They come up, no doubt, with pride. They're not kneeling down before Jesus. They're not running up to him. And their motives are to test him. And what do they say? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this, you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Not even in the Pharisees thinking that divorce is wrong. They're just saying, um, for what reason? For what, what reason? And Jesus, they're not wanting to obey the law. They're actually wanting to get around it, unlike this man. Well, they're not genuinely seeking to obey God, but Jesus, by contrast, can see this guy's got something within him that he actually wants to follow, actually wants to get hold of eternal life for real, for true. And so Jesus says to this man, one thing that you lack. One thing. He said, go sell everything that you have and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Go sell everything. Give it to the poor. One tiny little thing that you lack. Now, you've been with us for a few weeks hearing about Jesus talking about those who will follow him, those who want to be his disciples, those who live under his rule, will know that we've heard something like this before back in chapter 8. Anyone who would come after me and be my disciple must take up his cross, be willing to go to death, Deny self, give up your self-ambitions, lose your life to follow Jesus, such that you might gain it. It's the normal, everyday disciple of Jesus, follower of Jesus. It's not a radical thing. It's not the top-shelf Christians. This is the normal thing. Give up everything. Why is that the cost? Why is it like that? Well, there's a few reasons why it's like that. Not from this passage, but from the whole of the Bible. We know that as creatures made by God in God's creation, we belong to God anyway. 
we're owned by God, made by God, answerable to God, uh, empowered by God. We're defective ones when we think that we're self-made, self-powered. We come with all the, everything that we need to do whatever we want to do. It's ludicrous to think that way. It's actually rebellion to think that way. I don't need God. I don't need anyone, anybody else. Um, I can just make my life for myself as I wish. It doesn't work. In fact, it's actually rebellion against God. It's sin. It's not recognising God for who he is in giving everything that you are. But instead of giving us what we deserve, that is God's just punishment, God chooses to redeem his people. Chooses to redeem us from rebellion and bring forgiveness. And so he sends Jesus. He sends Jesus to rescue. To rescue at the cost of his life for us and calls us to follow him. So whether it's in creation or in redemption, you are not your own, says Paul in 1 Corinthians. You were bought at a price. Being a creature of the creator and being redeemed generously into God's kingdom means you're completely dependent upon God. Rebellion is trying to live independently of God. Repentance shows that you are totally dependent on God. And that's what Jesus is saying to this man. You need to be totally dependent on God. And that is to follow Jesus without any backup, without any security, with its total trust in him. Which is why that little account of the children is there. You might be wondering, why is this thing about the children there? You probably don't even notice it. You probably even forgot that it was read out. It's there in verse 13. And they were bringing little children to Jesus, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. He took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. The, as with common wisdom at the time, children are worth nothing. They're, 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 just, they're just children. We elevate children a lot more these days, but certainly back then, they're nobodies. And the disciples seek to put them in their place. No, you can't bother someone as important as Jesus. And Jesus rebukes them and says, no, bring them to me. Because if you're not going to receive the kingdom of God like a child, you're not going to receive it. What's it mean to receive it like a child? I take it it's humble dependence. That's what it is to be a child, to be totally dependent. I don't know if you've noticed it, um, but the, the human baby, in contrast to almost every other baby of the animal kingdom, is the most helpless and hopeless creature that there is. Like, you see these, I was watching it the other day, an elephant um, born and, and it was, you know, it's up and running in, you know, in a couple of minutes, a bit wobbly and all, but away it goes. These creatures are born and they're ready to go. The human, like they can't survive for like 16, 17 years. 
<laughs> even then, it's questionable. <laughs> you see some of these huge, big teenage guys, you know, saying to their mum, I need something to eat! I want something to eat! And the mother's saying, I'll get you something to eat. You know, they're going to die if they don't have their mothers with them. But it's actually quite true. We're pathetic creatures. And I think God in his wisdom has made the pinnacle of his creation in humans the most dependent. And if you think about it, if it was just you alone in the world tomorrow, how long are you going to survive? A little while, maybe weeks, maybe months. You're just not going to do it. A baby is a great image of nothing but trust. That's all the baby can do. It's got nothing to it. It can't actually do anything. It can only trust in its parents, in those around it. And Jesus says, the kingdom, entering the kingdom, is about complete and total dependence on God. And as such, it will cost you everything. Everything that you hold dear. Everything that says, I am, this is mine. I'm self-made. I did this. I can do this. I've got this ability. No. You're dependent on him. And so the question comes, can you afford it? Can you afford it? So, verse 22. Disheartened by the same, the man went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. This man can't afford to follow Jesus because he has too much. He's got too much and can't afford it. We might expect him to go away angry for Jesus being so unreasonable or annoyed at the high price tag, but he goes away disheartened, sad. He does the calculations. What will his parents say? What will his peers say? What will all those people that he values the opinion of in society say? What an idiot. What an idiot. Actually, I loaned him money. What an idiot. I used to look up to this guy. What an idiot. It's too much for this guy to afford. What would Jesus say to you? You'd asked him for eternal life. Jesus, what must I do? Well, certainly to follow him. But would he say, give up on that treasure of that impressive CV that you're working on? Work you're doing, it's going to look good for a future employer. Uh, all that work that's going to please your parents, it's going to look good to your peers, perhaps give up on the prospect of being well-travelled and being able to show what you've done in travelling the world, or is it to walk away from the relationship with that guy or girl that is your security and that you treasure more than anything, or perhaps one day, one day, one day, certainly not now. <laughs> One day, and I've already begun saving for that deposit. And that'd be great. That'd be so good. Buys a beach. Jesus says, no, give it up. Give it all away. To follow him. 
Can you afford to follow Jesus? For me, it might sound a bit bizarre, but around about your age, for me it was cars and guitars. Uh, and not just the owning of guitars, but the, the work, the energy, the time, uh, the focus to put into playing it like the people I wanted to be like, you know, 80s rock stars and things like that. I, I remember the point where I, I got to it and, and went, actually, I just cannot put the amount of time in that I really want to into this. I love playing guitars. Fantastic but I'm not an 80s rock star. Um, you probably know that already. Um, it actually comes down to real concrete decisions and what it means. Verse 23, Jesus looked round at his disciples, um, said to his disciples, how difficult, difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly amazed and said to him, then who can be saved? See, the disciples have their whole worldview turned on their head. They'd been taught that being rich was a sign of God's blessing. If you've got lots, that means God's blessing you. A lot of the Old Testament talks about that. God will, will enrich those who follow him. He'll bless them and their vats will be overflowing and their, their, their crops will be um, growing wonderfully and amazingly. If you trust God and follow God, they'll see the wealthy ones are the ones who God blesses. So for Jesus to say that it's impossible, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom, that's that's not right, Jesus. You've got something quite wrong. But they're amazed. Because if the wealthy can't get in, then none of us can get in. That's, that's their thinking. That's their logic. Jesus says, no, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. And it might be some of you, a bit like me, who would be thinking... I reckon I can get the camel through the eye of the needle. I reckon I can do that. It'll take a bit of time. Maybe the industrial blender. Uh, I can get the camel through the eye of the needle. It can be done. I can have both. I can follow Jesus and I can have the wealth. It can be done. Disciples, they won't clue up on how you can do this, but I, I can do it. I can do both. Jesus says, no, you can't. You've got to actually give up on chasing the game or holding on to the wealth that you have, whether it's in cash or whether it's in future earnings or future possibilities. The cost of following Jesus is everything. Total dependence on God is the only way. Can you afford it? So you can't be, uh, mostly, I don't need God. I mean, that's how people think. I don't need God. A slightly more Christian version of that is, I've got God in my life. He's sort of a helping role that helps me achieve what I want to do. And it's completely wrong. It's nothing. And following Jesus. Well, what's it worth? 
following Jesus? What's it worth? Well, Peter speaks up in verse 28. Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first it hits Peter as Jesus is speaking it's like this is us he's talking about we've, we've given up everything to follow you we've done that Jesus and, and Jesus says yeah and let me tell you nobody who has given up everything to follow me will not fail to receive not just eternal life in the life to come but now and so there's an exchange rate in God's kingdom enter God's kingdom give up everything but it's worth it in this life and the next. And you can see the currency of it here that Jesus works through. It's, it's family ties and relationships, career ties and economic ties, family and fields. Give it all up for Jesus and the gospel and receive with it the persecutions that will come as your parents say to you, as your friends say to you, as your world says to you, you're stupid, don't give that up. Why would you give up that? I've worked so hard so that you could have opportunity to do that. What are you think you're doing? Go back and get it. No, Jesus says, live for him, totally, fully, dependent on him, and you will receive uh, in this life and in the life to come. It will be returned to you a hundred times more, more than you would have imagined but with persecutions that come. Jesus is talking about him going to his death and says, follow me to death. It'll be great. Join with me. I have a few missionary friends who have shared that very, makes it very stark uh, what this looked like. Years and years ago, they were heading off on the mission field and <coughs> two different families, one heading to South America, one heading to North Africa very difficult places to live, especially North Africa, um, where this family was heading, with young children. Both had unbelieving parents, or the grandparents, and both sets of grandparents, not known to any of them, um, to each other, both said, why do you hate your children so much that you are taking them away from Australia to a part of the world where they'll be disadvantaged? where education opportunities are so much less, where it's unsafe, where they, they won't have the, um, the opportunities of living in a place like Australia and growing up. How can you hate, that was the language they used, how can you hate your children so much? Wow. And they went. No doubt it was the grandparents' heart speaking because they're not gonna see their grandkids very often. And any grandparent, um, if you know your grandparents well, will know that they've loved their grandkids. Years and years later, the families have come back. And their children, uh, adult children, probably a bit older than you guys are now, they're all proficient in languages 
more than one language. They have deep friendships with, which span the world and cultures that they hold on to dearly and travel the world to visit those friends. They are insiders when understanding international issues. They know exactly what things are like in North Africa and South America. It's not filtered through media or whatever. They, they are well-rounded, highly intelligent, mature people who are more aware than, than I am about things that are happening in the world. And the grandparents, I've heard from one, at least one family who said that they can see that their grandkids are far more well-adjusted and able to work in the world and live in the world than any of their other cousins who never left Australia, who are just absorbed with their own selves and never visit the grandparents anyway. But the missionary kids who come back love spending time with their grandkids, with their grandparents. And they have a treasure of relationships around the world, 100 times worth more than those who have never left and who are just absorbed in their day-to-day -day life, career, house. It's true. You actually see it working out in real life. Treasures that will last eternity. It's not all in independent economic wealth of dollars and cents that you can cash in at the bank. It's worth so much more. Sometimes it's econ independent economic wealth, but so much is commonwealth of the shared wealth of God's people in the treasure of relationships that will last into eternity. So you can hold on to things that you treasure in hope that in the end they'll be worth something. You get to that great antiques roadshow, sort of finale in the end. Where God says, how much is this worth? Oh, this is, a, this is worth 20 shillings. This is a plastic imitation. There's millions of them. They're not the real deal. Over there in that pile. Or does he turn over your life and say, see that mark there? And actually all those marks that are all over it, battered and bruised through the hardships of life, the persecutions that have come. But that mark there that says, I've given up everything for Jesus. That's the thing that makes all the difference. Following Jesus, number one. That's the treasured possession that will last into eternity. Which are you? Which do you wish to be? I'm going to pray that we might follow Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word to us through Jesus. It's a hard word for us who are wealthy to hear. Thank you for your kindness in making it so clear to us that we can't miss it. Please help us to hear Jesus' words. And if we need to, because we haven't already, to choose to give up everything and follow him, we pray that we would make that decision now. Help us to do that, Lord. For those who seek to follow Jesus and have decided on giving up everything for him, help us to hold on to that decision and keep putting it into practice. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now we do have some time for questions, but should we pray?
Yeah. Uh, come pray for us and then we'll do some questions. Hi guys, my name is Tia and I have the privilege of praying for us, which is just talking to God, so please join me. Dearest Father, you are truly beautiful in all that you are, and we come before you now thankful for what we have heard. Thank you for teaching us about what it means to enter your kingdom through the realm today. Help us to count the cost of following you if we don't already. And if we do follow you, help us keep focused on eternity and deny ourselves and not be focused on earthly gain. Help us to apply this to our lives and our thinking throughout this week. We thank you for bringing us through the semester so far. Please continue to sustain us as we do our assignments and other responsibilities. Please help us to find time for loving you and others despite the busyness. Thank you for Dinners for Eight that has and will happen this week. We pray that the dinners tonight uh, will be ones where deep fellowship and encouragement is shared along with the good food. We also pray for our friends from the Christian United Group from the University of New England in Armadale. We praise you for the Q&A night that they had, which was on good and bad. We pray that there will be meaningful follow-up conversations from that. We also pray that a prayer and pancake breakfast would be a great time of fellowship and praying to you, Lord. And so we thank you again for the time we can have together like this, praying freely to you. Help us to remember and pray for those Christians in the world who do not share this same freedom. And so draw us to be following you always and be counting the cost of this. In Jesus' name.